Welcome to Chromodiversity, a podcast for clinicians, therapists, and families about common genetic diversity. Hi, I'm Elliot Pollack, founder of MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation, and I'll be your host. In this episode, you'll hear an exclusive conversation with Brock Vestrom from Minnesota in the USA. Brock is a product owner at WorkIt Health, the leading provider of telemedicine care in substance use and behavioral health treatment in the U.S. He has an MBA in organizational leadership from University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and a BA in management from St. John's University. Brock is also a mental health advocate and the Minnesota ambassador for MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation. And he happens to have an extra 47th X chromosome. Hello, Brock. Thank you for being with us today. It's great to have you on the show. Looking forward to our conversation. Brock, how old were you when you found out you had a genetic variation and how did you find out? Yeah, so a bit of an interesting story and, and a lot of uh, a lot of pain and heartache with that. I didn't find out until I was 36 years old. My story is not much different than than those that found out when they were trying to conceive a child. And so the issue with infertility is what ultimately brought me to the diagnosis. Uh, I actually had higher testosterone levels, but I was on the lower end of of the medium range. So my doctors didn't actually really ever consider that I had testosterone issues. But I will say that I I think it's the the FSH levels, the follicle um, hormones that were extremely high. And that was the that was the trigger for the genetic karyotype test that I had to take to identify whether I did have, uh, indeed have Kleinfelter syndrome. And so uh, that certainly turned out to be the case. Interesting enough, I took a 23andMe DNA test about two or three years earlier than that. And when the, and my parents had taken it as well. And when the DNA test came out online, it showed that my mom was 50% uh, my DNA and my dad was 49.5%. And I honestly just thought that was just a random, um, you know, uh, like a I work in software, like a bug in the software. And yes. it didn't, uh, I knew my dad was my dad. Didn't actually occur to me that actually there was a different DNA structure with my dad than there was with me. And, um, you know, and then I look at, I look back on that now, uh, with a little bit of a humor and knowing that maybe there was a, a trail there that, that led to something prior to my actual diagnosis, honestly had no clue of, um, XXY or anything of that nature of chromo, uh, chromodivergent possibilities. So that wasn't even a thought in my head. When you found out, um, how did that make you feel? At first, I'll say I was quite devastated. I think in part because it was during my, at my, at the time, my wife and I's journey to try to conceive a child. And so you, you are already going through a very emotional period and emotional time 
And so finding out that I had Kleinfelters was devastating because it really limited our options to have a child. The doctor at the time said we had basically three options. One was to perform a micro TC surgery, which um, is where uh, where they actually do a surgical procedure to go in and investigate whether you have any uh, sperm. And then that live sperm is pushed uh, immediately to IVF. And then um, the success rates on that were very low and they're also very expensive. The second option was donor sperm. And then the third option is just to not have children. Actually, there's four options. The fourth option is adoption. I didn't actually have time to really grieve this this loss as we went right into the donor sperm, sperm option and then ultimately unsuccessful attempts at that. My grieving of my inability to have children biologically really didn't happen for another year. How do you feel about that, about the diagnosis now in hindsight? Yeah, in hindsight, I feel there is a sense of relief. And I actually believe there was a sense of relief at the time of the of the detection and certainly now as well. It's like putting the, together a, you know, a, a massive puzzle, but can't you can't find the one or two pieces. You know, and you've looked everywhere. And I'll tell you, in my life, I've had so many exams and and scans and diagnosis and um, dozens of therapists and psychiatrists uh, just could not find what is it, uh, what was the missing piece? You know, almost to the point where whenever I went to the doctor, if I came back and I didn't receive some type of specific diagnosis. I was very frustrated. I almost wanted to be sick. I wanted someone to tell me I was sick. And that was, that was really the, that's one of the insidious things of not really understanding and fully understanding and knowing what, what you have. What were the kind of um, issues or reasons for which you or your parents were looking for issues when i was a kid growing up i was very fearful i had i had very um high levels of anxiety more so than most children and i didn't have any real specific trauma to that type of anxiety when i was a kid my parents tried to find ways for me to get rid of that anxiety or that fear through you know books and programs and visits to the doctors and trying to understand why I had much more of a high proclivity to having anxiety and also having depression at that age. What do you understand about Extra 47th X today? Well, I understand that it's actually pretty common if the if it is truly one in six hundred, I mean, if you think about that, you know, the, the population of the United States is three hundred thirty-eight million. If you divide that by two, you know, and then times that by a sixth, you still have hundreds of thousands of men in the United States. Uh, and 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 just think about um, that number uh, populated across the world. You're probably getting into the millions. Yeah. And that 
makes me feel relieved and comforted to know that there are many of me's out there. And, and if I, and if I can get where I can, where I be today, successful in my job, be a, a good family participant and be able to succeed every day in daily life. I know that there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the world that are doing the same. What many people feel with the genetic variation, say they felt different from other kids growing up. Did you feel different? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. I felt different. I felt like I couldn't fit in specifically with any one set of friends or a friend group. You know, in my head, I was always lonely. Even when I was a part of a group of friends or a part of an event, I had constant thoughts and constant feelings that I didn't belong or that I wasn't good enough or that I had some something different than than the rest of my peers that made me feel like I wasn't accepted. I ruminated on that, trying to understand what was it that was wrong with me or that I couldn't get over in order to be accepted into a group of my peers. What I portray and what I, uh, what I see in the mirror, I actually have very difficult time watching myself or, or listening to myself because I, it actually sounds and, and looks foreign to me. I think in part that was because I spent so much time lacking an identity and searching for an identity. I couldn't even recognize myself, who I was, who, what I represented for so many years until I accepted that I was unique and that I was different from other people. And that was a really good thing. And now I really champion other people to think in that way too, as well, that you're not needing to be looking like and sounding like and being like everyone else. You don't even have to change anything about yourself. Once you get into that mindset, it actually makes life a lot easier. All this effort and energy that you're trying to expend is now taken back. And now you can use that on yourself. What were the, the things that you enjoyed in your strengths as a child? I think you were good at swimming, for instance. Yeah, we grew up on a lake in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. So I had the uh, opportunity to swim a lot. And even though I was scared of the water, uh, which is funny, uh, I became a competitive swimmer in, in, mo in many parts because I got to go and jump in the lake. As my mom would always say, go jump in the lake in the summers. That 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 became not only a, a source of pride, but also a um, source of community for me, being a part of a team and being able to contribute to uh, something larger than yourself. Um, I was always very connected to the outside world and I became enthusiastic Mm -hmm. about learning about the entire world so much to the point where at a very young age, I was able to recite all the countries in the world 
and uh, I was able to learn about the entire United States as a, as a very at a very young age. Even to this day, that is one of my favorite things uh, and passions to do is to study other cultures around the world. In fact, I just got my new map or my new book on different types of maps across the world, and I'm excited to jump into that. been to 43 of the 50 states. I have a rule where I don't count airports. It has to be a state that I actually spent some time in. In my journeys, I am also going to every single United States capital, and I've been to 38 of the 50 capitals so far. I compete in triathlons. A triathlon is the three disciplines of swimming, running, and biking in the order of swimming, biking, running during a race. I've always enjoyed competitions that are more solo uh, and less team oriented. Uh, I think in part because I was not as coordinated as a kid. Uh, swimming and running and biking only require yourself. And uh, I really enjoy that. It's also a great opportunity to um, work on yourself physically, but also mentally. And I've been doing triathlons for a decade. I try to do two to three a summer. It really enjoyed my family time. I, I had a, a great supportive family. We went on road trips uh, across the country. We, uh, we did a lot of summer activities. Like I said, we lived on a lake and so we got to swim a lot and I learned to water ski. Uh, wakeboard. Uh, we did a lot of tubing. For someone that thought that they couldn't fit in, I had a lot of friends as well. And mm. we did a lot of activities. Um, I remember, you know, going to state parks and going to friends' birthday parties. This was back before the internet. So we were much more creative back then in, in our free time. And I just remember not needing not needing much, just needing a sandbox and some buckets and we would make something of it. I remember one time we filled the sandbox with water and we created a mud pit and we all rolled around in the mud and then showed our parents our, our, our new mud selves. And I, I just think back to those times of before the world got so um, chaotic almost. Those simple times were some of the best memories. You like reading and writing. At the same time, you struggle somewhat with short-term memory. How do you manage that? It is difficult. I have uh, a little bit of a short-term memory recall issue, which makes it much more difficult when I'm trying to do tasks that require complex thought that I have to immediately recall and apply. And so for me, what I do in order to overcome those obstacles or that obstacle is to be visual in my representation of solving complex problems. And so I always almost always have a notepad handy. Or I'm doing some scribbling down. A lot of that scribbling, and I'll be honest, my notebook probably doesn't look too organized to anyone else. But to me, the purpose of the scribbling is to get a visual representation down of what I am either absorbing or consuming at the time so that I can make those decisions to solve either complex problems in a short-term duration or to make sense of 
what I just re recently read. So would you say that growing up you were a visual thinker? I didn't really realize that at the time until I got older, until I got into college and I started really understanding where I, I was succeeding at at a faster rate than the courses that I was strugg more struggling with. I certainly struggled in the STEM type of classes, which would be the science, uh, mathematics, anything that was specifically number-based and didn't really uh, activate that right brain creative side. And I really excelled in the creative and uh, writing side, actually. I was a very uh, competent writer. Uh, I scored high on my GMAT admission tests uh, from, a, from the writing perspective. Do you attribute these various strengths and struggles to some degree, possibly to having an extra chromosome? Yes, that, that's a good question, Elliot. In my mind, I believe they're, they're linked. And I believe that's the underlying issue or the underlying cause of my anxiety and my speech or memory issues. Uh, this, what you're hearing from me today and how I'm speaking and how I'm gathering my thoughts has been how I've been my entire life. You know, for me, it's it's been difficult, but it's also uh, been relieving once I understood what Kleinfelters was, what having an extra X meant, and knowing that there was nothing I could really do to fix that. If I had a time machine and go back and maybe have some additional counseling or additional speech therapy or additional information that my parents would, would have had the ability to use, you know, that would be great. But obviously time machines don't exist. If you had a time machine and you could go back to the moment of your birth, and if at that time at your birth, there was a test that could have detected that you had this genetic difference, do you think it would have been a good thing? And the reason I ask that question is, of course, today this kind of testing actually exists. I believe fully that it would be a vital piece of information I think from from the parents' perspective, and I'm not a parent, but I have had two supported, very loving parents. I know that if they had that information, that then they would have had the ability to conduct research, connect with healthcare professionals, connect with peer support groups, and have the ability to create a recipe that would work for me to become successful. And I know that that is what they would would have wanted, not only to become successful, but to be happy and to enjoy my life and, and have the tools to, to do so. And I think that's really the biggest thing that, you know, I would wanna want others to know is, is that the identification of having an extra X is not a negative, thing and it's not something to be be sad or sorry about but it, it it will provide some comfort actually 
to know that there is help out there that you can identify for your child that will help them, you know, grow and uh, and learn and and have the tools and have an environment that's conducive for you know a successful growth opportunities. You felt different as a child. Did your parents treat you any differently? They supported me. I think just uh, they treated me just like any other child. Very loving and very attentive to being inclusive. Uh, I was given every single opportunity that uh, my brothers had. Uh, there was no time where I felt that I was separated from my brothers as as someone that was different or had a, had a different makeup than them. If you could go back in time and say something to yourself as a child, what would you say to that child? I think the biggest thing I've learned as I've grown in adulthood and, and uh, specifically also in my recovery is just to let it go. Let, let your thoughts pass through you and, and, and let them go. And also, I think I would tell myself that you're enough, that they're, uh, that, you know, I love you just as you are. And not, it's not that uh, my parents didn't say that they certainly did. It was in my head, in my mind that I wasn't good enough. Um, and I, I would tell, I would tell my young self that you were fine just the way you are, um, to accept who you are and let things go. And lastly, to enjoy, just enjoy this time uh, being a kid because it's going to be short and, uh, and more responsibilities are on the way. So just enjoy it. I have a little surprise for you. It's 10 questions that come from a French series hosted by Bernard Pivot, and they're better known as the questions that James Lipton asks, asked every guest at the end of the Inside the Actors Studio show. What is your favorite word? My favorite word is resiliency. What is your least favorite word, if you have one? My least favorite word would be can't. What turns you on? Achieving goals that I set out to achieve. Specifically, I'm thinking about my triathlons that I compete in. What sound do you love? Love the sound of waves lapping against the shore. Reminds me of home. What sound do you hate? I hate I hate, uh, hate's a strong word, but I will say uh, creaky floorboards at night uh, <laughs> remind me of my, uh, my fears as a child. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, I think uh, there is uh, always uh, an opportunity for a well-placed F-bomb, as we say in the United States, uh, when done appropriately. What profession other than yours 
Would you like to attempt or would you have liked to attempt? In another life, I would have been a tour guide. I love uh, other cultures. I love history, architecture, and all of those passions would be uh, an amazing thing to do. And maybe I'll do that in retirement. What profession would you not like to participate in? Well, as much as I love to travel, I would say I could never be an airline pilot. Uh, that would give me way too much anxiety, too much responsibility. <laughs> and finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I would just like to hear God say, I'm proud of you. The interview was meant to end here, but then, as we were winding down and I'd forgotten to stop the recording, Brock added something about the importance of doing things that are uncomfortable. Well, I appreciate it, Elliot, and uh, I think for me, you know, it's really great to do these things. As you can tell, some things are that we want to do are uncomfortable, and I've noticed uh, that in my journey that uh, the things that are the right things to do are not always the most comfortable things to do. And um, in order to you know, overcome our obstacles, um, I have found in my journey, I have to get uncomfortable uh, to be able to, to experience uh, what that is like in knowing that I can do that going forward. So I know that I can do these types of things in the forward in uh, going forward in my life and uh, look forward to other opportunities in that. Tune in to our next episode featuring another remarkable guest with a different genetic variation who will share their story about growing up with chromodiversity for the very first time. If you like this episode, please don't hesitate to repost and leave a comment to help raise awareness. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. 